Good morning. There's always someone. We, we have actually have a lot of people that visit our church. So I'm Mark Bucker. I'm the pastor. If you're new here, we're delighted to have you. And our desire is to really sincerely love God, proclaim Jesus, share life. We mix up the order occasionally. Um. But it's uh, a sincere desire to pursue God, to understand the Bible and how it applies to our lives and what that means to our relationships and how that might be significant in the world that's around us. God has purpose for each one of our lives. It's part of what I'm going to be sharing about today. We're starting a new series, uh, Stories from the Life of Moses. So this is a, kind of a, a new thing for a new season. Are we in a new season? Anybody think we got more snow coming? <laughs> yep, okay. It's always, you're walking around this time of year, everyone says, I remember April 1st. When was it? What year was that? 1993, we had 14, how many inches was it? Three feet of snow, April 1st, 1993. So, uh, anyway, anything's possible. For those that, that make money plowing snow, they're just saying, give me more, just one more good snow, and I'll be able to pay for something. But the rest of us, nah. So uh, anyway, could be spring. If you're new here, it comes in May, just in case you're wondering. All right. Uh, so, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about getting into the Word and the integrity of God's Word, how much we trust this book. And that was specifically important in this season. We're just praying about, uh, as we look at the world around us, as we look at our communities, our church, as we look at our own lives, Lord, we, in the midst of everything, we want to be really believing and holding on and confident in your Word. And that means answering some specific questions and also dealing with attitudes in our hearts. But right now, we're going to do that. We're going to uh, get into the Word. We're going to move with a focus in the Old Testament. And over the course of every year, we think about, uh, we want to be teaching out of the Old Testament. We want to be teaching uh, some out of the prophets. We want to be teaching out of the Gospels. We want to be teaching out of the epistles. We want to have... Over the course of several years, we want to have a really good breadth of the Scripture that we're teaching. And um, in this season, we're focusing on Moses, which is primarily out of the book of Deuteronomy. So Moses, it's uh, traditionally uh, believed, what we believe, wrote what's called the Pentateuch. And the Jewish people would call it the Torah. So Penta, five, the Tuk, I think it means book, something like that. It's five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Genesis is the, the beginning point. So God created the world, and it was good. He handed over the keys to man, and it went downhill. Sin enters into the world. We start killing each other. It's just all kinds of distortion of this thing that is good. God enters back into the story in Genesis chapter 12, 
and he chooses a man. He chooses a family. And it's, it's interesting. You know, why does he do that? Because that's how this works. This is how God operates. When we tell these stories, and I'll emphasize this a couple of times, these are examples for us, but this, this is our story. This helps us understand ourselves, and it under, helps us understand who God is and what our purpose is. So here's what God does. He reaches into a situation, and he finds someone that he wants to bless. He wants to transform them. He wants his character to be invested in their lives so that the people around them can see this is what God is like. When someone has a relationship with God, this is what it looks like. And not just to that person's blessed, but in, in Genesis chapter 12, it says, I'm blessing you that you may be a blessing. It's so interesting. Someone's blessed, and uh, they're, God's doing all these things in life, and it, it gets strangely twisted, and they think they're the center of the story. But God is the center of the story, and he wants them to be a pipeline of all that he is to the world that's around them. So the rest of Genesis is the story of the family of Abraham. It's all that that happened is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it ends with the story of Joseph, who's the son of Jacob. Now, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the story of Moses and the nation of Israel. So this is, uh, these are books that Moses received out of revelation from God in Mount Sinai and out of, out of intimate relationship with God. So <clears throat> now we're going to move to Exodus. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got paper or electronic device and you're walking in self-control and not checking other things that are going on in your life, we can always hope. You know, we can always pray that these things are happening. That was a jab, a tease. Let's give us focus, Lord, as we read your word. So Genesis ends with the story of Joseph, where Joseph has been blessed by God. He has a relationship with God, and he has become a blessing to this entire nation. He interprets a dream, and he saves this nation from starving by giving them a strategic plan. God gives them administrative gifts. They save all this food. They make it through the place of famine, and they actually bless a lot of other people as well. They sell this food to other people. So the Israelites, now this is important. Where'd the name Israel come from? That's who Jacob is. Jacob wrestles with God. You wrestle with God, and God changed his name to Israel, is one who, who wrestled with God and with man. So Israel is Jacob. Jacob is Israel. The Israelites, the na- this land even in, that we see geographic, political land, was named for this man, Jacob. And everyone that descended from him is now been fruitful and multiplied dramatically in the nation of Egypt. So uh, uh, they've actually, um, hundreds of thousands of them have been born over the course of 430 years. 
So Exodus 1 is 430 years after the last verse in Genesis, okay? And uh, we see in chapter 1 that Egypt is being led by a king now, a pharaoh, who's never, he's forgotten who Joseph is. So for generations, these people were awesome. Your family did something for us. You're great. We love having you here. But then there's a time when that was old news. And they have multiplied and Pharaoh's become fearful. This nation has just exploded. A nation within a nation has grown. And he fears that if Egypt has a war, the Israelites are going to turn against him. Now, God is in control of all these different things. It's amazing. See, God took uh, Jacob out of this land that they were promised, moved them down to Egypt, grew them up, trained them, released them, and brought them back to take over this entire piece of land in Israel. So God's involved in every one of these pieces. But right now what's happened is because of fear, they're being oppressed. Pharaoh has turned an entire nation into a nation of slaves. And he's decided that the way to really cut this thing off is to kill all of the baby boys. And there's so many things about this that are significant. Where are the times in the Bible where there's genocide? It's before God does something amazing. At the birth of Jesus, a whole bunch of boys, children, babies were killed before this major revelation of God's purposes. So, and sometimes people say in our own generation, the attack on this earth is because God is preparing something significant in his purposes in releasing the the death of children sometimes precedes a huge shift generationally, in God's purposes. All right, so now we're in Exodus 2. What do we know about Moses? He's from the tribe of Levi. So, so Jacob has 12 sons. One of them's named Levi. And there's a whole bunch of descendants from each one of these 12 sons. And Moses is one of those. His mother and father are both from Levi. And when he's born, when Moses is born, he's in the middle of this uh, process. I don't know how long this went on with the Pharaoh. He didn't seem to be too successful because this army emerges later on. Uh, seems like there's a lot of boys sneaking around somehow in, in Egypt that are Israeli. But uh, when he's born, his mother hides him for three months. So we're, we're all the way into Exodus chapter 2 right now. We've started in Genesis 1. Is this amazing? Wow. You guys are fast listeners. And um, so she says, okay, I, how do I protect my baby? She hides him for three months. It's starting to get complicated. She's, she's thinking, what do I do? And so she gets an idea. I'll make a basket. I'm going to make it waterproof. I'll use all the latest technology. And I've been, I, I, I imagine she is thinking of ideas. She goes, the princess goes down to this place over here. What if I put my baby down there and see if something happens? Could be bad, could be good, don't know. He might die. I'm willing to take a risk. So she prepares this basket. She puts it in the water, and she tells her daughter, Miriam, 
go down there and watch the basket. So the, the whole setup's basket's there, just off the shore, her daughter's hiding. And sure enough, the princess or the daughter of Pharaoh comes down with a bunch of her retinue, and they see the basket. They pull it up. She sends somebody, one of her servants, to go and pull the, the uh, basket out. She finds the baby. She has compassion on them. You know, I, I think in, there's so many different cartoons and movies. Anybody watched a cartoon of anything in the life of Moses, you know? I grew up watching the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston, he's dead now. Uh, lots of different things of pictures, old, old movies. Uh, but we have pictures of, like, what actually happened in this situation. And one of them I remember is that she looks down in the basket, and it may be because of his skin color. It may be because of some physical futuristic uh, feature that he has. Or it may be because of the cloth that he's wrapped in that is traditionally a part of that Hebrew culture. But she knows this is one of those babies. And she knows the story. She knows what's going on with her dad. But she's, she has compassion on him. Now, uh, the Israelites to this day are pretty sharp people, and it's amazing what she does. She, uh, Miriam goes up to her and says, Hey, do you want me to get someone to feed the baby? And she says, Yes. And so... Amazingly, how, how many of you have really figured out how to do this? You get someone else to pay you to raise your baby. <laughs> but anyway, they figured it out. So um, mom gets the baby back, starts nursing him, and Moses' complex life begins. Okay, major pivot. All of this that I've said is the background. And I'm going to tell a story now. I'm going to tell an illustration. I'm going to give you a, a, a picture that, I, that is going to be my message today, but it's, it's, it's our story. It's a theme. It's something that we learn out of the Bible. And this is where we're heading. God prepares people for great purposes by transforming their lives in the desert. Okay? This is interesting. This happens again and again with Elijah, with Jesus, with Paul, and many different people. He has this place of taking someone into isolation in order to change them to make them able to carry God's purposes over their lives, all right? So, Lord, speak to us. Show us how we fit into this story. Show us the perspective that we need in order to live our lives and to take and see you accurately and to live our lives out and to honor you. So, uh, we've got all this history coming in, and we've now focused on the person of Moses. And we see God loves people. He didn't create this earth in order to torment people. He created this world because he loves people. And God loves Moses. So this is, we're seeing, God sees a people suffering and he prepares a deliverer for them. So as you're looking around the world today, God is putting in you burdens. You're seeing needs in the world. 
You're seeing things that are wrong, things that need to change. And he may be preparing you to bring that change. God is looking for someone who can bring deliverance to others. He's looking for someone that he can entrust with great authority to bring his kingdom into the world. He's he's looking for someone that will be free of themselves and only want the will of God. So, here's the question. What kind of pressure does it take to accomplish that purpose? What kind of environment does it take to bring that transformation into a a person's life? Well, what God did was he took Moses into the desert. So, there's 40 years between uh, verse 10 in chapter 2 and verse 11. And it reads like this. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So Moses is awakening to his purpose. He, you know, what's been happening? 40 years of his life. Where did he find out he was adopted? Where did he find out that, you know, how did he, what pieces does he put together? He, we know later that he knew who his brother was because God speaks to him and tells him, go, go back. Your brother is going to help be your voice for you. So he understood this dynamic somehow. And he had been watching this whole thing. His people, he's kind of, he's living this, this life in between worlds. And he's seeing his great privilege and this tremendous need And I imagine he's being ripped apart. So, one day, he goes out, and in the 12th verse, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And the next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, okay? He, went to, he didn't ask the one that was being hurt. He went to the one in the wrong. He's being a judge. He's being a leader in this situation. Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? We have a crisis going on right now. So... Moses had a special name, one who was drawn out, one who draws out. He was drawn out of the water, but his destiny was to draw an entire nation out of a nation. And our names have meaning, and he knew that his name had great meaning. There's some meanings in the Bible that are like, oh my gosh, you know, we get to uh, uh, not wanted and, uh, you know, I'm a foreigner. There's certain things, names in the Bible that you think, you know, what was that all about, you know? 
father issues, mother issues going on there, deep healing needed. But he's knowing, my, I have a destiny. I am privileged. And the burden of this is on him. Uh, but Moses, with his great destiny and great purpose, not only doesn't help, he kills somebody. And he takes a step in the direction of what he believes his purpose is, to help his people, and he totally messes it up. Just, you know, the opposite. He's breaking a Ten Commandment right off the bat. Now, and the strange thing is here, he's rejected by the very people he thinks he wants to help. Now, uh, as missionaries, we, we use the phrase, we say, no good turn goes unpunished. You know, in our lives, there's people, you think, I want to help these people. I guarantee you, you're going to get some negative pushback and think, don't you know who I am? I'm here to help you. I've spent all this energy. I'm here to help you. Well, there's a problem because he, In my life, in our lives, and in Moses' life, I've lost touch with who is at the center of the story. God is at the center of the story. So, Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. So Moses flees into the desert. So where, what is the desert? I mean, there's, there's no... Uh, we know that he left Egypt and he went to the desert, which if we have a map, he's moving toward what now is modern Saudi Arabia and into that place, somewhere in that land, which eventually goes up into Israel. But what is the desert? It's a place of aloneness. He's, he's left the, possibly the most populated place on earth. And he's gone into desolation. He's moving into isolation. He's moving from everybody knows who Moses is to who are you. And he's moving into a dry place. And this is a, a, a literally a dry place, but it, would you, we could also say a dry place emotionally. It's just a, there's something very deep in this place. And he's moved to a hard place. He's moved from the fertile ground all around the Nile to a place that is, is hard. He's moved from all the modern conveniences to no toaster, you know, no frying pan, no George Foreman grill. And, but he's also taken to the place in a desert. He's taken to a place to encounter God and be transformed. That's what the desert is. So, why does God lead Moses in the desert? Because Moses is stepping out to help his people, but it's in his own strength. He's not going in God's heart and character and power. He's still full of his own pride and self-centeredness. He has a lot of problems. Moses has issues. His mother gave him to a princess. His older siblings are jealous because he got special treatment. His adopted grandfather wants to kill him. His dad seems absent, and his family has a lot of secrets. 
He's got some issues. And so God is taking him not just to bring character, but to bring wholeness into his life in this place. Why does he go in the desert? Because God loves Israel. These people are suffering and they're crying out. He loves these people. And he says, I need, in order to have someone that can do this historic job, this crazy thing, delivering an entire nation, I've got to work deep in their lives. Why does Moses go in the desert? Because he needs the desert and because God needs a deliverer. In Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 4, this is uh, later on in the story, as God's speaking to the whole nation, speaking to Moses, and he said, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He was building a confidence. Sometimes the testing in your life is so that God can build a confidence in you that you really want him. Isn't that interesting? He's building a confidence in your life that you really want him and his will. Just, we need to say, I I don't want to tell you, I want the will of God. I believe that's true of most of us in here. You're here not because someone punished you, okay, you were bad this week, you've got to go to church. No, it's, it's, you have a desire in your life. You want this. Now, how does this work? Okay, Exodus 2.16. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. I, I think this is interesting. A whole bunch of girls. Anybody know in the New Testament where there's seven daughters? It's the book of Acts. It's seven pro- prophetic girls in this family. So we got get a bunch of daughters. You have a high level of the prophetic when you have a bunch of sons, you have a dynasty. When you have sons and daughters, you have a move of God. We want sons and daughters that are obeying God. So it's interesting. Moses is sent into this highly prophetic environment, and, and the father is a priest. So we don't quite understand any of that, but, but basically he's a spiritual guy. He's got a bunch of prophetic daughters, so, you know, it's just like, if, you know, this is Bethel and just outside of Egypt kind of a thing. This is where people would do their conferences. They'd all go out to Midian. And uh, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule, their father, he has another name in the next chapter, it's the same man, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Rule asked his daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. I assume some time later. 
Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, again, this is one of these great names. I mean, we just don't have enough Gershoms in our midst here, you know. I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Now, 40 years go by, and we're in the third chapter, the first verse, and it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, so he was called Ruel, now he's... Uh, it's the same man, Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There are certain things in your life that set you up for destiny. Moses is spending 40 years in the place where he is to bring a people. He knows this area. When he goes back to his nation and tells them, you're going somewhere, he knows where they're going. He knows how complicated this is. There's something that had to be worked out in his life. He understood some of the cost of this trip before he gave the invitation to the nation. So Moses is shaped by the desert. First thing he does is he cares for women and protects them from men who have bad motives. Something's happening in this man's life. And he learns to submit and honor others. In every cartoon about Moses I saw, he was a selfish brat when he was in Egypt. We don't really know, but he had great privilege. He thought he could kill someone and get away with it. And now, 40 years later, he's not doing what what Jacob did, trying to weasel out crop, uh, uh, a bunch of sheep from his uncle, Laban, he is still serving his father-in-law 40 years later. <clears throat> he learns to submit and honor God. And he's a strong guy. This is a powerful man. It's not because he's a wimp. So, all right. That's their story. What do we do with this? What do you do with this, this significant story? This is our history. We're the people of God. This is foundational in what we believe. This is what Jesus knew. He's memorized this. He, he understood all of this history. What do we do in application of this story? I believe you first need to find out what God loves. I remember early in, uh, so I was raised in church, been around church all my life, and when I finally came, you know, I'd, I'd prayed prayers, been baptized, done all these different things, but still, just not much transformation, not much change in my life. I'm 18 years old now, I'm in college, and I'm asking a lot of questions in January, I'm 19, let me think, yeah, no, I'm 18, in uh um, in January uh, of 1979. <laughs> and uh, I give my life to Jesus. There's a transforming moment. I begin walking with him. And I start reading the Bible, praying and telling people about Jesus. I start really obeying the word. But I found out, it was funny, I thought I was the, the kid, the, the bad kid. I was the sneak. I was the one not doing it. 
And then I start doing it, and I look around, and I thought, no one's really doing this. We just talk about it. We just talk about reading the Bible. We just talk about praying. We just talk about these things. Now, this is my church. I don't believe this is true of our community. But that was my experience there. And so I was mad, and I became a judge. I knew what hypocrisy looked like because I had had several good examples in my own life. But in this process, it broke me. I thought, oh, I've just done what I hate. I've just been judging people, and I've been angry. God, you've got to change me. You need to transform my life in order to prepare me to be doing anything of value. And I started praying this prayer, and God, what do you want? What is your desire? What do you love? And what do you hate? What is your burden, God? I, I, I don't want to become a, a successful Christian who performs and does the rules and becomes respectable in a community. I want to know what is on the heart of God. This overarching story that we have is a picture of what is on God's heart. He loves people, and he wants to set them free. The people that you are burdened for, you look out and you just, your heart breaks. God's, you're getting a touch of God's heart. And he wants to do something in you so that you can make a difference. God so loved the world that he gave his son. This is his pattern. God loved Egypt. <laughs> he did love Egypt. He sent a blessing through the family of Jacob. They were set free. They were blessed. But then he had another purpose, and he set this entire nation free because he loved these people. So you may be here, and you've got a dream. You've got desire. You're awakening. You see needs. You know, there's a strong sense of justice in a lot of our lives. Like, we see some things that are wrong. We want to see that change. You sense God's call in your life. But sometimes there's a problem. It can still be really mixed with your need to be significant. God has purpose for you, but he first wants to do a work in you so that what happens is all about him. There's a great need. Sometimes people are resisting you because you're so impatient, because there's an edge, because there's something there. He's still going to use you, still going to work through your life, but he's it's amazing. He took Moses in the prime of his life for 40 years. And you're so many times thinking, God, are you still there? Do you still care about me? Do you still have a plan for me? I had a dream once. I feel like there's a prophetic purpose on my life. There's just been a lot of silence. It feels like I'm in the desert. 
with the nation of Israel, what he would tell them was, stop measuring the time. Stop looking at your watch and saying, God, you're supposed to do something already. And instead say, work it out in my life, Lord. Do this deeper thing in me. Prepare me. I want to be one who brings deliverance. But will you make me like you? So that when they see this, they know that it is Jesus. I want the worship team to come up here. <clears throat> and this is, this is our story, okay? This is a story that... And we have other stories that we're going to tell over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about the crossing of the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, the plagues. It's going to be a great Sunday, the plagues. Um, you know, tabernacle, going... We're, we're not going to do everything, but we're going to do a, a number of significant stories over the course of the next two months, all the way up into the first part of June. And we're, we're trying to say, where does my life line up with this story? Where does my life line up with each one of these things? You'll stand up with me right now. We're going to worship. And there's, you know, uh, every message doesn't necessarily hit every person. But I, I want to just draw out a couple of points here. If you're in that place where you are you're saying, ah, I'm hitting some walls here. There's think, something in, in my desire. I, I need the grace of God in a fresh way and I know he needs to change me. I encourage you to come on up here and kneel. Just come and stand, whatever. It's, coming to the front is just an opportunity to have some initiative with God. It's moving. It's it's taking a step. Sometimes moves us inside of us, not just outside of us. And then the other person is, I don't have a vision. I don't see my purpose. Or, gosh, it's kind of dead, way out there somewhere. And we're both people are getting in touch with the heart of God. God, what is your purpose? Who are you? And this is true for all of us, okay? But sometimes he's just really tapping on specific individuals and saying, there's something here. I mean, you know, it's like my heart's beating harder. I, I just, I want to respond to you, Lord, and get you connect with what you're doing in my life. So as we worship, come down to the front. If there's someone up here that you want to pray for, I welcome other people to pray. And we're, we're asking God to, to bring clarity into our lives, to speak to us, to show us more of himself. But specifically, if there's a place that you're, you're feeling blocked, you know that there's, there's a struggle going on, or, you know, I'm, I'm the exact opposite. I just, I really feel like I am in that empty place. Both of those. Come on forward. We'll just worship.